Well, you're listening to the Moreland's Church Equip podcast. This is a monthly podcast that we put out as a church where we lift the lid on different aspects of church life and we think about the Bible together. And um, in this episode, we're thinking about the letter of 1 Peter in the New Testament. We're, uh, we've had a preaching series on that at the moment in church. Our grub groups, our primary school age children have been studying that in their groups on Sunday mornings. And we wanted to talk a bit more about it and uh, answer some of the questions that have come in in this series. Um, I'm Joe Standwick. I work as a student pastor and I'm here with Danny Rolander. Hello. Hi, Joe. Hi, everyone. Um, Danny, let's just go back a few months um, when you put 1 Peter into the preaching programme. Um, what were you praying God might do through this book in our church family? And what have been some of the personal encouragements for you as you've worked your way through this letter? Yeah, thanks, Joe. Um, I mean, normally the the criteria for preaching um, is really it's in the Bible and we haven't done it for a while um, but I, I did give this a little bit more thought than that and I think there were two main hopes um, that I had for this series one that it would give us fresh confidence in our mission in this world um, so we've been seeing some of the parallels between our time and Peter's time uh, we feel like the aliens that he is describing because our culture seems to match very closely to the first century Roman world. Theirs was a pre-Christian culture, ours is a, a, a somewhat post-Christian culture. And in that context, the mission hasn't changed, You know, the need hasn't changed for the world to hear the gospel. And God's strategy for mission is exactly the same as it was then for courageous witness from the local church to, to a lost world. And then in the midst of that theme, you get the second great theme of the letter, which is um, hope and joy in suffering. And of course, it's the particular suffering that comes as you engage in in the mission to a hostile world. So I think my prayer really was a long-term hope that this thinking would get into our sort of core, our church life, that it would be planted in the hearts of our young people, particularly as they grow up in this uh, this hostile world and a shorter term hope of um, preparing for our two year uh, period of heightened evangelism um, our mission month next year friends 321 that kind of thing um, but I guess ultimately that we would fix our eyes on Jesus as we wait for his return in this particular time um, and that's certainly been my encouragement as as we've worked through the letter um, I think one Peter's a particularly hard book to preach for various reasons every passage seems to have a bit of a curveball um, but I think it's also an incredibly practical letter um, I have found myself uh, uh, applying it in everyday life I found myself crossing the pain line in, in evangelism a little bit more eagerly I've been reminded that this world is is not home and most of all I think I've been freshly amazed at, at, at Jesus in every passage that's brilliant. It has felt amazingly relevant, hasn't it, to the time in which we live? Yeah. And some of the pressures that we read about in 1 Peter feel like the pressures we're facing. And uh, Peter gives us the, the words and the resources we need to, to keep going. Yeah. Um, now that you preach through the letter, sometimes it's easier at the end of preaching through a book to then think, what is this letter all about? It's a bit more difficult as you're starting out on that journey. Uh, what would you say this letter's all about? You know, key words, key verses, key themes perhaps that you've seen as you've gone through? Yeah, well, we took a pun, didn't we, by calling the series Hopeful. Um, and you never quite know, as you say, whether you're going to still like that 
title by the end of the series. But I think we do. I think we we, we still think that one word is a good word to describe it. Um, but it's a very particular kind of hope, isn't it, that Peter gives us. So hope in the world is often the word hope is often devalued and overused. Um, you know, as I as I looked at the weekend, I I'm hoping that it's not going to rain. It actually is, but you know, there you go. Um, but Peter gives us a much more concrete beautiful picture of hope um, he talks about this imperishable inheritance um, and his hope is all about Jesus and what he has achieved on the cross so at 1 verse 8 for example though you've not seen him you love him and even though you do not see him now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy um, that's a brilliant description of, of Christian hope it's all about Jesus it's based on what he's done um, and it's something that that sort of fills this life now with with joy. Um, one verse eleven, the Old Testament was all about this expectation, trying to find out the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So we, we're interested in the in seeing the glory of Christ. And then one thirteen, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Christ Jesus will be revealed. So Christian hope is not just. Um, going to heaven when you die in this nice place where everything's going to be right it is firmly concretely inseparable from Christ and and his glory Um, but then that hope is something that sort of emerges in the I guess the fire of suffering in 1 Peter and the two go hand in hand so I I was just kind of thinking about this this morning that if life is just you know lying on a deck chair on a beach on holiday you know if that if that is life then you haven't got much reason to hope but when life gets hard and you're buffeted and humiliated by the world and you experience that kind of unjust suffering then the hope suddenly starts to mean something and you suddenly long for um, the revelation of Christ in the future and that's when you really start to understand the Christian life the shape of the Christian life that follows the pattern of, of Jesus um, that shape that Peter keeps coming back to of suffering and then glory. So a couple of verses I think that are, that sort of distill this. It's you know I don't know if they're key verses, but they they seem to kind of express this pretty clearly. So four thirteen, uh, rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. You know if life's a beach, you're not going to be particularly overjoyed. At the idea of his glory but when life is hard it really becomes real or 5 verse 10 the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you firm uh, strong and steadfast mm. brilliant so if you were going to sum up the letter in a phrase in a sentence have you, have you got one for us I, have, I, have. I actually because I knew you're <laughs> going to ask me that so I wrote a sentence down and um I said the book is there to make sure that in the midst of grief in an ungodly world we are gripped by the gospel of grace so that we'll make it to our glorious goal. Wonderful. You turned to the G section in the dictionary. I did. That one. I, did. <laughs> I thought it might be more memorable. Well, that's helpful. Um, I think it'd be worth just talking a little bit about just wider encouragements for our church family. So it's been a great series, I think, for talking about in growth groups, for having conversations over coffee, 
um, we've got a short video being shown on Sunday of different people saying what they've learned, and I think we've learned we've learned lots in this letter. Um, so let's just share some of those things that we've we've been hearing from mm. people. Um, I think one big one that I think it's encouraged us with as a church family is that this life that we've been called to isn't an individual life, mm. but is a corporate life. Mm. Um, we had that video. Uh, to introduce the series where different people were saying I am hopeful yeah I am hopeful and I think coming to the end of it I think maybe it would have been better to say we are hopeful wouldn't it Um, because this is the life that we've been called to and we can look around at one another and think yes my brothers and sisters are also living this life and even wider in 1 Peter we've got the family of believers who are talked about in chapter 5 the family of believers all over the world are living this life Mm. and so let's keep going and I think that's been wonderfully encouraging to have that corporate yeah. aspect to, to what yeah. Peter. Yeah, we're not on our own, are we? Yeah. Yeah, and also um, a few other, maybe more minor themes, but but um, ones that I think have hit, hit home. Um, we talked about work. So Peter talks about the you know, through the, the lens of slavery, um, what it's like to be in a workplace. I think people found that very helpful because it's something we don't often talk about, um, I suppose, in sermons. Um, but it fills a huge amount of most people's time. Um, and so it's helpful to have that kind of idea of what it's like to be a Christian uh, in the workplace, particularly in a difficult workplace. Um, uh, chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. I was very keen to, to preach that as a standalone sermon because it often gets a little bit lost. Mm. And I think um, a, a number of people found that a, a bit of a penny-dropping moment to see the way the whole of the Old Testament looks forward to Christ and his sufferings and glory Mm. Um, we also saw uh, um, a a great reminder of the beauty of Christian marriage in chapter 3 that asymmetrical uh, relationship and just just how how good that that is Um, I think people have also been encouraged by Peter's um, uh, the way he talks about the word so for example at the end of chapter 1 this word that's imperishable as opposed to the things that don't last in this world mm. um, and how we're, we're standing firmly on Christ at the beginning of chapter 2. Um, and then I think quite a few people have mentioned that just the challenge of um, chapter 4, verse 1, and choosing your attitude with Christ. So those are, those are just a few things that I think have hit home. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier about um, this being a helpful letter for younger people, and I think we found that as a church family mm. that talking to students at university talking to young people at school I think these things have really hit home Mm. with them because it's given them language Mm. and ideas to describe their experience Mm. because they feel like aliens in a situation where there's not many other Christians and Peter's saying that's right and you're in the good life and and keep going and I think our young people have found that really helpful well I was privileged to be in the youth discussion which we have once a month at church and uh, I was just really encouraged by um, the way they were taking this and the way they were applying it, and actually they are at the coal face. You know, they they are at the the, the cutting edge of Christian mission um, in a very very hard place. So I think I think one Peter's been helpful for them. Absolutely. We've we've talked sort of big picture so far. I think it'd be good to just drill down into a few more specifics of one Peter, and uh, we've had some questions that have come in about a few different aspects of the letter. And the first question has been about um, this whole theme of suffering. Um, so let me just read um, uh, so a, bit, a bit of this question. I've abbreviated a little bit, but I've tried to get the gist of it. Um, we've got commands in 1 Peter, such as chapter 4, verse 1, 
Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude as Jesus, as you suffer. Uh, Or uh, commands like uh, chapter 4, verse 13, rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. And the question is, um, when we struggle with what can feel like relentless suffering, overwhelming sadness, crippling anxiety, which various people in our church family do, how can we put those commands of Peter into practice, if that is our experience? Yeah, this is a great question. And I think it's the right question to ask um, in those circumstances. It's not asking, why has God allowed this to happen to me? Um, It's not asking for a trite solution or cure, um, or what can other people do to help me in my need? Um, It is asking, in the midst of this particular form of suffering, what is the right way to be godly? What does God want me to do as a Christian as I respond to this? And I think that is the question that we should be asking in every form of suffering, but we so often don't ask. So I think it's a a very, very helpful question. Um, Three things I think would be worth saying, and obviously there's there's loads more we could uh, talk about if we had time. Um, First thing to say is, is, if this is your experience, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm sorry that this has come to you. Um, as I look around our church family, and I think ours is pretty normal, um, we see all kinds of suffering in bodies and minds and emotions in, in this world. Um, some people are in constant pain. Um, some people are experiencing grief. Uh, some people ha- have repeated miscarriage uh, and all the suffering that goes with that. Some people are in difficult marriages that they're going to be in for the rest of their life. Some people are struggling with unfulfilled desires and sickness and so on. And the agony of mental anguish and sadness, that feeling of overwhelming sadness and despair that the question mentions, and and I guess that feeling of hopelessness, um, particularly when you feel that as a Christian you should feel hopeless, I think is one of the hardest uh, things that a, that a person can go through. Um, it's up there with all the others, um, and I know this because I've, I've tasted it a little bit myself, I've struggled with it to a degree, um, and I know many people who have, and I know godly Christian men and women throughout church history uh, will have done so and will continue to uh, struggle with that particular suffering so that's the first thing uh, to say that to acknowledge its reality I suppose and to say that yeah we're sorry that this is this is the case um, the second thing I, ha- I think we have to acknowledge that Peter is not addressing directly that kind of suffering um, I think I'm, I mentioned uh, maybe the week before last that he's talking about the specific suffering that comes to Christians in their standing for Christ in the world, the kind of the bonus suffering that is on top of all the other suffering in this world. So I think we do have to keep that context in mind. Um, Having said that, I do think that because Jesus' suffering in his body um, throughout his life and especially on the cross, because Jesus' suffering is the benchmark Peter uses for the way we respond to suffering, I think it's fine to apply the principles that we see in the letter to all sorts of suffering as a kind of secondary application to the the primary one yeah Yeah. so that makes sense i think it's important to be clear on that that 
you know, Jesus is the benchmark and he suffered in his body. His suffering was uh, suffering as a, you know, for Christ, as, as, a, as the Christ. Um, but we can learn things from the way he did that and apply them to, to all suffering. Yeah. So the third thing then is, is what do we learn from 1 Peter? Well, um, the question mentions the commands and I, I, I think the best thing we can do is just look at three of the most important commands. Uh, which come in chapter 4, the beginning and end of chapter 4. Um, so chapter 4, verse 1, we are commanded to arm ourselves with the same attitude as Christ. Um, when Jesus came into the world, he suffered every imaginable form of suffering. He suffered in his mind, in his body, and in his emotions. So just think of the mental anguish of Gethsemane, you know, sweating drops of blood with that that anxiety as he faced the cross. I think we are meant to understand that this is the low point of human suffering in the history of the world. It's never to be surpassed. Um, you know, it is the abomination of desolation in Mark 13. And what that means is that however we suffer, whether mentally or bodily or emotionally or spiritually, Jesus has walked the path before us. There is no suffering we can undergo that Jesus hasn't undergone. Now, what's the what's the use of that? Well, it, it's it's more than just having the doctors say, "Well, you know, I've had that too." Although that's nice. Actually, suffering gives us an opportunity to follow Christ in the way He lived, as He lived the good life. So God gives us suffering in order to learn Christ and copy Him in in His attitude. So what is his attitude in suffering? Well, it's spelled out in chapter two. He turns away from self-pity. Um, there's no bitterness or retaliation. And above all, he, he trusts God in that suffering. And I think this is why so, so many people have said they found that section so practically helpful because in every kind of suffering, we get this moment of decision. Am I gonna choose a man-centered attitude or am I going to choose to follow Christ? And I'm fully aware of how paralyzing some forms of anxiety and depression are and how hard it can be to think and pray and to be clear-minded. But I think we have to take away from 1 Peter the conviction that God never takes away the freedom to choose how we deal with it. Another way of putting this is that there is no suffering that gives us an excuse to be ungodly or exempts us from the Christian life. Every form of suffering is an opportunity to choose to adopt the attitude of Christ. And sometimes that decision is gonna be the hardest thing you've ever done. Mm. Yeah, it's really helpful. And it's good to look around church and see people doing it, isn't it? Mm. To see people actually putting that into practice. Um, the second command comes in 4.19. Um, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator. So don't miss the fact that it's those who suffer according to God's will. This is a, a, a remarkable and very, very useful uh, thing to get hold of in the midst of suffering. To know that God is so big that he has actually chosen to give you this particular plate of suffering. Um, you know, he is the one who doesn't let a sparrow fall to the ground without permission. So this terrible thing that you're going through, God, your heavenly father, has actually put it into your life. Now, some people might run away from that and, 
and say, well, that doesn't sound very comforting. But just think about the alternative. The alternative is to believe that Satan has brought this suffering to you without God's permission, or God has been surprised by it, or he is standing by powers powerlessly. 1 Peter 4.19 tells us actually that this suffering has not come from the enemy, but it's come from God. And I think there is tremendous spiritual peace in accepting the will of God. Uh, I think this is part of the humility he talks about in verse 5, to actually know that we don't know all the answers, we don't know the purpose, but God has some purpose in this. And that acceptance of God's will, I think, is is tremendously helpful and hopeful and, and healing. It is part of the good life. And I think the only way we can accept it as that is if we know what this God is like, yeah. which we have so much about in 1 Peter, don't we? He's the God of great mercy, yeah. chapter 1. Um, he's the shepherd and overseer of our souls, chapter 2. Yeah. He's our faithful creator, chapter 4. Yeah. He's the God of all grace, chapter 5. Yeah. It's that God who sent these things our way. Yeah, and he's our creator, 4.19. He knows what we're made of. Um, he knows we're made of dust. Um, and so he's not going to push us beyond what we can what we can take mm. um, and what this means I think you know um, committing themselves to their creator in practice I think in 1 Peter it means to turn to God's word and to the fellowship of God's people and that might be a hard thing to do and that's why one of the things people sometimes do is they do the opposite they stop going to church they give up their small group they stop reading the bible they stop listening and they withdraw from fellowship and i think that is exactly where satan wants you to be we've got to listen to the word meet jesus in the word hold on to the promises of god and um, those promises that, that tell us in a little while you know five verse ten he's going to make everything everything right mm. And sometimes, you know, you've got to just allow people to speak the word in, into your life. Yeah, I think that's right. I think sometimes there'll be times when it's very hard to for somebody to sit down and read the Bible for half an hour on their own. Yeah. And I don't think that's what Peter is necessarily saying you have to do Absolutely. in order to obey his yeah. command. Yeah. Um, but we do need to be, like you say, opening ourselves up to other yeah. people speaking the word. Yeah. Um, and that could be the, the, the very thing we need in that in that yeah. moment. Yeah. I think the other thing that strikes me is is what you were just saying about a little while in chapter 5 verse 10 that there will come a time when God will make us strong firm yeah. and steadfast that time is not yet yeah. and so I think there are times when we feel weak yeah. and unfirm yeah. and not steadfast yeah. and we need the word to keep us going in those yeah. times yeah the little while thing is really helpful isn't it because it's it, Peter's not diminishing our, he's not belittling our suffering he is saying actually <clears throat> in the and if you hold on to Christ, you know that the glory is coming. You know that he's going to return. And so it relativizes it. Relativizes it. Mm. And then there's a, there's a third command in, in 419, which, uh, again, is, I think is very practical. Um, continue to do good. You know, God knows how we're wired. Um, he, he knows us um, spiritually, psychologically, bodily. You know, he knows what, what is good for us. And... The gospel that we've seen in 1 Peter, as I've been saying, is you're good at my expense. That is the gospel. And the gospel life is you're good at my expense. And that is living. Um, to turn that on its head is death. 
I gave the example last week of the people in the prison camp who prove that psychologically, you know, doing good to others is, is actually good for your own mental health and your own survival, your own spiritual health. And there are people in our church family who prove this every day of their lives, spiritually, to live the good life, to get out of bed, to put one foot in front of the other, to listen to the word and to keep on doing good. That is what God is calling us to do. And so I think there's never a time that we are exempt from the good life. And I think that's very practical and and very liberating. Yeah. I think the other thing I'd maybe uh, want to add from 1 Peter that I think might be helpful to people in this situation is to remember the realities of 1 Peter about who we are and what what Christ has done. Um, So even in these moments when we feel the crippling anxiety and the overwhelming sadness, the reality is we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, loved by God, being built into his spiritual house and the blood of Jesus has washed us of all our sin. And I think there are times when we feel maybe the guilt of not obeying the commands as we would want. Yeah. And in those moments, I think remembering who we are and what Christ has done is so Yeah, that's us. very helpful, Joe. And that's reminding me that the the other factor here is Satan. Mm. Um, so Satan is always the anti-word power. Mm. He, he always wants us to disbelieve the promises. And it's just we did that from the beginning. You know, that God doesn't have your best interests at heart. Yeah. And so there's always a spiritual battle here as well as everything else that's going on. But am I, am I going to trust the word? Am I going to listen to the word and believe what God has told me about identity and, and hope and the future? Yeah. Or am I going to listen to the voice of Satan? So I think, yeah, that's very helpful. Well, let's continue this conversation, I think, as a church family. Um, I think we uh, we should move on to the next question that's come in. And um, it's another, another big question. And it's about uh, the idea of submission uh, in chapter three. So wives and husbands... Uh, chapter 3 verses 1 to 7 and the question uh, that has been asked is is this given the context of Christ suffering unjustly in chapter 2 and slaves bearing under the pain of unjust suffering again in in the end of chapter 2 is it right to say that wives should leave abusive husbands uh, which was said in in the sermon on on chapter 3 is that a right thing to say and uh, the question is asked about Sarah. You know, Sarah was given as an example of somebody who remained through abuse as she lived with Abraham as her husband. So, um, yeah, maybe if I could just start off on this one and say uh, this is a complex question and we don't know who's listening to this podcast and what situation they're in. And so I think the first thing to say would be make sure you talk to a, a trusted friend or, or leader, a Christian friend, rather than just acting on... A podcast, yeah. But I think there are there are obviously things we can say from one Peter in answer to it. So, uh, Danny, do you want to kick off with some? Well, I mean, I, ha- I have to say yes. I agree with what Nathan said in chapter three um, that um, if you're in a situation of emotional or physical abuse, you should separate from your spouse. Um, so, I don't think this is calling wives to remain in that kind of you know abusive, dangerous relationship. Um, that's not to say that the submission Peter's um, calling upon wives to um, to practice is conditional. Um, he's not saying, you know, you can only submit to your husband if they're the, the most lovely guy in the world. Um, that can't be right given the context that he's talking about non-Christian husbands. Um, but in an abusive relationship, I think I would say, and again, noting your 
caution at the beginning that every case is different. I think I would say the marriage covenant has been broken by the husband um, and the wife, I think, in most circumstances, is free to separate herself from that dangerous situation. Um, the question asks about Sarah, though, and I think I'm not sure I would put her marriage in the category of abuse. Um, I don't think that, that is what Peter's saying at all. Um, these verses tell us that Sarah submitted to her husband Abraham. And to see what that looks like, you've got to go back to Genesis 12 to 23, uh, where you can read all about Sarah. Um, she didn't have the most straightforward life. Um, she spent her life living in tents. Um, on the way to the promised land, she suffered the, the pain of uh, childlessness. On two occasions, Abraham handed her over to someone else to be their wife as a kind of pretense. And perhaps that's what the question is referring to. But I don't think Peter's got that in mind. I think in the context of a, what, 70-year-old, 70 70-year 70 marriage or something, I think that was Abraham being a sinner. Uh, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that was what defined Sarah's marriage. But as you read those chapters in Genesis, what you discover is that Sarah submitted to Abraham um, in the context of a promise that God had made that wasn't clear how it was going to be fulfilled. And so she's been given as an example of a woman of faith in contrast to Eve, who disbelieve the word I think that's in, <clears throat> it's, it's interesting that women are called to be daughters of Sarah naturally we're daughters of Eve because we disbelieve the word and we actually um, we, we we don't submit to our husbands um, women are being called to be daughters of Sarah instead because she did believe the word and mm. she submitted to her husband yeah and there is a, a promise as well contained in verses 1 to 7 there in verse 7 uh, heirs with you of the gracious gift of life mm. um, that's the promise that God has made mm. to both husbands and wives mm. in this context and I think it's helpful isn't it to separate off um, the more extreme cases of abuse that we, we want to think through and we have been in this answer and then the ordinary commands that Peter gives here of wives submitting to husbands which will always mean wives submitting to sinful husbands yeah. because every yeah. husband is a sinner yeah. and so we don't want to weaken the yeah. the force of that command while also wanting to recognise there will be situations where yeah. a wife should should leave yep. well let's move on uh, to our last uh, question for this podcast and it's on the whole area of speaking about Jesus and our mission as a church we mentioned earlier that one thing 1 Peter does for us is uh, gives us courage to keep speaking about Jesus and to reach out in our world um, so let's just share a few ways that that's, yeah. that's helped us um, individually and as a church I, I think one thing that has been helpful for me is thinking that we witness to Jesus as a as a corporate group mm. this is not just about me doing evangelism on my own with my neighbours although it includes that um, this is about us living the life that God has called us to live being distinctive mm and reaching out to those around us. Mm. And I find that very encouraging to think mm. we're in this together and we're mm. doing this together. Mm. I think the other thing that has encouraged me um, in my own witness to Jesus is seeing the example of Christ. Mm. Um, he just had a very different approach to pressure than mm. I think I normally do. Mm. So I think my pressure would be, uh, my response would normally be retaliate or run away. Mm. And Jesus's uh, approach to pressure is keep going 
keep doing the right thing mm. and keep speaking. Mm. Um, and that's been a, a rebuke, I think, to me and a help to think I want to be like the Lord Jesus in how he responded to the pressure of the mm. world. And that's what Peter wants us to do, you know, in the final couple of verses, stand firm, stand fast in, in, in the grace of God. That, that's what we've got to do. Yeah. Um, I also think it's it helps us to connect our mission to ordinary life um so often we feel that um you know this is a hard context to do evangelism in but actually as i go to work on monday morning as i bring my children up um relate to you know my wife in in the home or um whatever else peter has has given us to think about this ordinary life that we live distinctly is part of the mission. It's not disconnected to the mission. Um, and our temptation is always to think, well, the world hates this aspect of Christianity, um, particularly right now, it's sexuality and gender. And so we'll dumb it down, we'll change it, we'll, we'll, we'll modify ourselves so the world will like us. Mm. And that is not only wrong, but it's a strategic error in terms of mission because we are meant to be a distinctive countercultural community that is part of the mission and so i think that means every 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 christian as we step out of the door on a monday morning uh, we're doing we're doing god's mission we're doing his work yeah and then the other thing i think is um 315 um is very very helpful um always set apart christ as lord in your hearts and be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Um, what this does, it reminds us that evangelism is a heart issue and a spiritual discipline. And the best way to grow in your evangelistic ability and zeal is to grow in your love for Jesus. You can read all sorts of books on evangelism, but get to know Christ and love him and you will want to share that with the world because he is he's your number one let me end with um, some words that will help us to do that as we come to an end of this podcast chapter 1 verses 8 and 9 remind us of our hope though you have not seen him Jesus you love him and even though you do not see him now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith the salvation of your souls. Thanks, Danny, for this conversation, and um, I hope it's been helpful to those who've been listening. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for the questions. Mm-hmm.